Good morning. morning. It's a wonderful day whenever we can gather together to worship the Lord. And as uh, Jesus said, uh, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so that's our goal here this morning. And, um, you know, when we think of worship, sometimes we, we think primarily of singing. Uh, but worship is so much more than that. Uh, we can worship the Lord uh, in everything that we do. Um, scripture tells us whatever we do, we do as unto the Lord. We, we, we yield that up to Him. And this morning, one of the things, one of the ways that we can worship is by giving to Him our attention, to, to listen to His Word, um, to hear what He would say to us, and then to think about how we ought to respond to it. So my hope this morning is, is that we don't just gain knowledge and information, but that we ask the Lord, Lord, how do I apply this in my life? How do I live out these truths? Show me. And then, um, and then be specific in your game plan as to how you will do it. This morning, we're continuing our study in the book of John, and uh, we are moving through it at a pretty decent clip. And uh, this morning, we're in John chapter 15, um, and to kind of set the, the tone for where we're going this morning, I wanted to show you this rose. Uh, this is uh, not, you know, your store-bought kind of rose. Uh, this is a knockout rose. How many of you guys knew that? Just curious, a few of you, just a few of you. This is a knockout rose. Now, my wife has planted these all around our house. So if you come to our house, you're going to see red ones, you're going to see white ones, and they're on the front of the house, the side of the house, the back of the house. And, and, and one of the neat things about knockout roses is that they bloom several times a year. So you can get that color, not just once. You know, I love the tulips that we have in the front of our house. But, you know, once, once they come up, you know, and die, boom, it's gone. You got to wait till next year. So this allows you to enjoy the, the roses uh, throughout the year. And um, it's a beautiful flower. This one isn't as pretty as, as some of them, but it's still pretty um, nice. I like it very, very nice. And, and so I thought I would bring that and show it to you, but as pretty as it looks right now, wait a few days, right? And what's going to happen? It's going to fade out. It's going to start to wilt. It's, it's not going to look as pretty as it did before. And really, uh, that illustration is kind of what John 15 is all about, at least the first half of, of John 15, because Jesus is teaching there that to have life and to produce not a flower but fruit, we must be connected to Jesus. See, this, this, this is a stem that was cut off of the branch. The reason why in a few days it's not going to look as pretty is because it's been cut off from its source of life. It's been cut off from the bush. And that's what Jesus is getting to here at in John chapter 15. If we are to have life and bear fruit in the Christian life, we must be connected to Jesus. So let's pray and commit this time to the Lord. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word to us, for this opportunity that we have to worship you. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up our, our eyes and our ears and our hearts that we might receive all that you have for us this morning. And that, Lord, we would um, take to heart these words 
and that uh, you would show us how we are to apply them to our lives. So Lord, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we concluded our time in chapter 14 um, with Jesus' words, uh, rise, let us go from here, at the end of uh, the chapter. And Jesus and his disciples are, are now on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we don't come to that story until chapter 18. So we still have 15, 16, 17 to go. So Jesus is still teaching his disciples from the upper room all the way to the garden. Some very important lessons here. And in chapter 15, he employs um, what I call an expanded metaphor. He, he takes a metaphor and he kind of expands it. You know, normally when we use a metaphor, sometimes we just use it in a simple sentence. Like, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's sly as a fox. You know, and we, we, we give it uh, a comparison and we use a metaphor. But Jesus uses an expanded metaphor here to teach them once again what it means to be a disciple of his. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you bring your Bibles each Sunday, John chapter 15, we'll start reading in verse uh, 1 uh, through verse 4. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, we don't live so much in an agricultural society as the people of Israel did, but back then, uh, vineyards were quite common. This metaphor that Jesus is giving would have been very familiar to the disciples, and Jesus here uh, is, is really speaking to the life and the economy of the entire nation. And he's going to unpack what it means to be a disciple of his using this particular metaphor. And there are, there are three main elements here that we're going to look at individually. So let's unpack his teaching here. The first we see is, is that Jesus is the true vine. He is the true vine. He says that in verse 1. Now, what's interesting here is that this is the seventh and the last of Jesus' great I am statements here in the book of John. Um, that is a fascinating study in itself. If you go through the book of John, just by way of reminder, you go back to John chapter 6. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he says, I am the light of of the world. In chapter 10, he says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And in chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then in chapter 14, most recently we read, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here Jesus says, I am the true 
vine. So why did Jesus say that he was the true vine? Why didn't he stick with the pattern that he used with the other six I am statements? I mean, why didn't he just say, I am the vine? Like he said, I am the door. But he says, I am the true vine. It almost seems to indicate maybe there were others that were claiming to be the vine. Well, not exactly, at least not that we're aware of. But what we do know is that in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was referred to as God's vine. It was very interesting. In fact, in Hosea chapter 1, excuse me, Hosea 10 verse 1, uh, Israel is called a luxuriant vine. Uh, In Psalm 80, we read, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took deep root and filled the land. Jeremiah said, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? And then in Isaiah chapter 5, we read, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done to it, done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel." And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. You see, as God's vineyard, Israel should have produced righteousness and justice. But instead, they produced unrighteousness and injustice. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I am the true vine. You and I were created in the image of God so that we would reflect who God is. Israel too was meant to reflect who God is, but they were a poor reflection. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the true vine. And he is the true vine in the sense that he is the creator and the sustainer of all that is. He is the source of all physical and spiritual life. He is the wellspring of all righteousness and justice and goodness. And he supports and he nourishes the branches, enabling them to bear fruit. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that 
My wife and I, we traveled um, to, oh, we're up already. We traveled to uh, uh, Michigan, and while we were up there, we took a, a trip through uh, wine country up there. And it was just amazing to see vineyard after vineyard. Uh, uh, just, uh, I mean, I, we go up to the northeastern part of Ohio. They've got a lot there, too. But, I mean... It was just one right after the other. You could drive like a quarter of a mile. You're at another vineyard, another winery. And so I thought I would take a couple of pictures knowing that I was going to be preaching on this uh, this morning. And so what you see here is the vine right here. And of course, there's the wire that you know they attach to so it grows. And here's a, an example of a branch and other offshoot you know, branches and leaves and stuff. And so you can see that the vine is what supports the branches. It's what provides the life uh, to the branches so that they can bear fruit. So, but the first thing we need to understand is that that's what Jesus says he is. He is the true vine. He is the source of our life. He's the one who enables us to bear fruit. Jesus is the true vine. So let's talk a little bit, though, about the branches. Let's look at verse 4. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is talking to his 11 disciples, but he has in mind all who would follow him. I think that's pretty clear. Um, the, the Greek word that we have translated uh, here, abide, is the Greek word meno. It's, some of your translations may say remain. So abide or remain. And it carries the idea here that we are to continue in the state or condition or activity that we are currently engaged in. It means to live out our lives in a way that we are continually connected to him. It's not a sporadic thing. It's, it's not like you know, taking a plug and you know, plugging it and unplugging it to the wall socket. We are to remain, continue in the state that we are in with Christ. We are to abide in him. And abiding in Jesus is not a passive activity. It, it is an ongoing, active lifestyle. So it's, it's not like you get plugged in once and, and then, you know, you just totally forget about it. It's the idea that, that you are continuing in relationship with Jesus. You're continuing to cultivate that relationship and you are continually bearing fruit. Now, notice Jesus says in verse 5, he says, apart from me... You can do nothing. You know what nothing means in the Greek? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nada. Zilch. Zero. It means, it means nothing. So, you know, we like to think that we can contribute something to our salvation or, or that, you know, somehow we, we can produce the fruit on our own. 
And Jesus is saying, no, you, you need to understand something. Unless you abide in me, you can do nothing. Now, that doesn't mean we can't do stuff and even some nice stuff. What Jesus is getting at here is, is that you can't produce anything of any lasting value, of any eternal spiritual value. It can't be done. And so we need to live our lives in such a way that we are connected to him so that we can do something, so that he can do something through us. We have no ability in ourselves to produce spiritual fruit. And if, if we're not connected to Jesus, then we are spiritually dead. And guess what? Dead branches can't bear fruit. That's the point. If we're to live life and produce spiritual fruit, we must stay connected to Jesus. So that's the second element here. The third element is that of the vine dresser. Jesus said, the father is the vine dresser. My father, in verse 1, he says, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So bearing fruit for the Christian is not optional. I mean, we don't have a choice in that. We are to bear fruit. It's a byproduct of what God is doing in our lives. It's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and our obedience to God's word. Together, in conjunction, this is what produces the fruit. Again, I said it before, you know, uh, fruitful Christian living is not the byproduct of self-effort. It's it's not us. We can do nothing apart from him. And to to me, when I look at this, I I find this nuance very important. that That as Christians, we are not commanded to produce fruit. We're commanded to bear fruit. And there's a difference. And if we're not bearing fruit, then something's wrong. Because Christians bear fruit. Those who are connected to Jesus bear fruit. Everyone who abides in Jesus, the true vine, will bear fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, you're in grave danger. So let's talk about that for a minute because Jesus goes on to to talk about two types of branches here. The first are unfruitful branches that are taken away. You know, I've said it several times already. We must be connected to Jesus if we are to bear fruit. If branches don't bear fruit, what's the scripture say here? The Father takes them away. Well, what's that mean? It means he cuts them off. He discards them. They are cut off from the vine, meaning they are cut off from the source of life. there There is nothing in themselves that will be able to sustain their life. They will not be able to produce fruit. Now, you know, this, this rose that I brought in today, I also happened to bring in a little vase. 
so you can take it out without spilling the water. Okay? So here you have your, your, your rose. It's been cut off from the bush. Okay? We know what's going to happen to this. Now we can postpone the inevitable by putting it in water. Right? And oftentimes, guys, when you buy the rose for your wife and, you know, you, you frantically search your house for a vase and then you, you fill it with water and you put the rose in there and you put it in the center of the table and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And it'll last a little bit longer because of the water that you've put it in. But it's only postponing the inevitable. It's dead. From the moment I cut this stem, it died. There's no life left in it. it. Whatever sap or whatever it is that's in here that sustains this thing, it's, it's drying up, it's running out, and eventually these petals are going to fall off. Now, unfortunately, many people are like this rose stem. Um, the, you know, they, they may look alive, okay? You can go, oh, wow, beautiful, lovely, smells great. Okay? But eventually you know what happens, right? Now here's the scary thing. You can put them in a local church. <coughs> and it might postpone the inevitable. It, it might allow them to continue to look good, smell good, look the part, look like it's alive. But in reality, they're dead. The only thing... That, that, that gives life is being connected to Jesus, to the true vine. No amount of religiosity, you know, doing good works, anything, self-effort on your own is going to produce life. We have to be connected to Jesus because apart from him, we can do nothing. Now, we need to be careful with this analogy. There's a danger in, in this uh, analogy or this metaphor that we're looking at here this morning. Jesus is not teaching that a true disciple can lose their salvation. Because some people can read into that. You know, it's, it's like, well, you know, we were there and then he cut us off, and, but we were apart and we cut When you study parables, when you study stories and, and analogies and things like that, you have to understand it's a different genre of literature and it's used, parables in particular, are earthly stories designed to teach a single point. Okay? So sometimes we, we start chasing, you know, all these little things that have nothing to do with the main point of what Jesus is trying to say. And that's what's happening here. We need to understand what that main truth is. And it's simply this. Life and fruitfulness only come from being connected to Jesus. If you're not connected to Jesus, there is no life. There will be no fruit. So the unfruitful branches that Jesus is talking about here represent those who are not true disciples of Christ. And we see that, I think, quite clearly in verse 6. Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now to me, verse 6 is a frightening picture of hell. That those who are not true branches, those who are not a part of the vine, they're, they're cut off. 
They're gathered together and eventually they are thrown into the fire and burned. Fruitful branches, on the other hand, are pruned. Uh, we have any avid gardeners in here? Okay. My wife, I don't know if she would consider herself an avid gardener or not, but she's out in the garden a lot. Uh, we've got tomatoes growing in the backyard. We've got other stuff growing, but it's mainly flowers and things like that. And one of the things that I noticed that she does is she prunes these rose bush bushes, but she doesn't call it pruning. Um, she calls it deadheading. I never heard of that term before, but it's called deadheading. And apparently, once they bloom, um, if you cut off, I guess, the heads or the flowers, whatever it was, it enables more to come out, which I think is interesting. And that's the whole idea here behind pruning, is, is that the father is the vine dresser, and he prunes every branch that doesn't bear fruit or that bears fruit that bears fruit, that it might, what? Bear more fruit. Now, I suppose if we were to ask the branch, if the branch could talk, if the branch could feel, um, hey, how does it feel to be pruned? <laughs> I suppose it might respond, oh, oh, it hurts. It hurts. You try getting snipped like that. Right? Maybe it'll sprout. How do you think it feels? I, I would imagine it would hurt. And, and I think, as I look back on my life, I have seen the father at work pruning me. And it's not always pleasant. Sometimes it really hurts. But he knows exactly what needs to be snipped off. Yeah, I'm glad that he's the gardener. He's the master gardener. He's the vine dresser. And I think the same is true for you. You know, there are areas in our life, you know, and he, keep in mind, he's talking about healthy branches. He's not talking about the ones that have been cut off, that have been gathered together, that are being stored up for the fire. He's talking about those who follow him, who are already bearing fruit. And he says, but you know, I want you to bear more fruit. So I need to do a little work. I need to do a little snip here and a little snip there. And this is going to hurt a little bit. Now, you start thinking about that and you go, wow, that, that doesn't sound too much fun. But it produces more fruit. And to me, as I think about this, I'm thinking, God, how do you do that? How does that work in our life? And I think that if you're walking in obedience to Christ, you can rest assured the father is going to get out the shears and he's going to start snipping. It's just going to happen. And, but he's not doing it because he's angry with us. He's doing it because he loves us, because he wants us to be more like Jesus, and because he wants us to bear more fruit. That's his goal in the process. Now, again, I ask God, how will you do this? Well, you know, God's God. He can do this in a lot of different ways. Here are just some of the ways I think God prunes us. I think he uses people in our lives, both Christians and non-Christians, to prune us. He may use a difficult person or a difficult relationship, a conflict, 
with a family member, a coworker. Um, he might use somebody to reprove us, to correct us. Um, I, you know, I've, I've, I've shared this story several times. Probably shouldn't share it again, but, but, it, but one, one event in my life stands out to me when I was uh, in my 20s, I was uh, serving in, uh, in a church in Myrtle Beach. Actually, it was a, a five-star camping resort, but we had a church there, right there in the property. And I am very task-oriented. And so it's very easy for me sometimes to blow by people. Um, and one day, I, I went into the office, into the work. Our, my office was located uh, inside the information center, and there were people who worked in the information center that I had to walk by to get to my office. And very often, I would open up the door in the morning, and I'm not a morning person either, so that didn't help. But opening up the door, and I just made a beeline right to my office because I had work to do. And I'll never forget, my mentor and friend, um, Ted Ragsdale, uh, pulled me into his office. And he said, sit down. And I sat down. And I knew I was in for something. You just, you just know it, right? But I'm sitting there, and he says, starting tomorrow, every time you walk in these doors, I want you to say hello to the people at the front desk. And I could feel my toes curling. Right? I'm being corrected. I'm being rebuked here. I'm being told I didn't do something right, and I need to do it better than what I'm doing. And, and I remember feeling at the time, you know, as much as I don't like this, I need this, and I need people in my life to tell me things that I don't want to hear. And from that moment on, every time I walked in, I always said, hello. And I, 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 I had other struggles after that because every time I said hello, they would want to talk. And I, I'm thinking, I got to get to my office. So God was stretching me even further. But God will use people in our lives, those who love us and those who don't. He'll use circumstances in our lives to prune us as well. It might be the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one. It could be poor health, poor finances, difficult decisions. But no matter how he chooses to prune us, he does so because he loves us and he wants us to bear more fruit. We need to remember that. We need to desire to be more like Jesus and to be more fruitful than we desire to be insulated from the criticism of other people. I'm preaching to myself there. By the way, um, let me give you a picture of Healthy branches that bear fruit. I mean, it's just, I mean, I wish you could have seen it, just the whole thing. I mean, I, I actually have a picture of me somewhere where I'm, I'm like holding fruit like this. I mean, it's just amazing to see how full some of these branches were with fruit, all because there's a vine dresser. There's people who take care of these vineyards. They want to make sure that they have as much fruit as possible. Now, of course, Jesus, when he's talking about fruit, he's not talking about literal fruit. So what's he referring to? He is saying that if we belong to him and are abiding in him, then our lives will reflect that reality. So fruit is evidence that we belong to him. It's the proof that we belong to Christ. Now, there's lots of fruit, 
uh, that the believer ought to bear. There's the fruit of repentance. There's the fruit of righteousness. There's the fruit of good works. Let me give you just a few verses here. 2 Corinthians 9, 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. In James 3, and the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In Colossians 1, we read, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And there, of course, is the fruit of gathering souls or the fruit of evangelism. There's the fruit of the Spirit, course, if you're familiar with Galatians 5.22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is just a sampling of fruit that we as believers are to bear, not produce bear. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit, but we are the branches it grows on. Let me give you some more examples of fruit from our text this morning. It may not be obvious to you as you look at it. First of all, we have the fruit of answered prayer. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, prayer is not just a gift from God. It is a fruit. I don't know if you ever thought about that before, but think about it. A person who truly abides in him is in constant communion with Jesus. How can, how can you be in constant communion with Jesus and, and not pray and not talk to him? We, we are, the Bible says we're to pray without ceasing, right? That happens because of our connection to Jesus. Prayer is the byproduct of having a saving relationship with Christ. What is more, this verse tells us that God delights in answering our prayers. It says, ask whatever you wish. And of course, we know we have to pray according to the will of God. And, and that's one of the neat things here is, is that as the word of God informs our minds and informs our hearts as to God's desires, we begin praying for that. We begin praying for the things that God cares about. So prayer is, is a fruit. It, it should, for us as believers, we should long to be in communion with God. To talk with him on a daily basis, if not an hourly basis. Second, there's the fruit of loving obedience. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, we talked a lot about this last week. If we love Jesus, we will demonstrate it by our obedience. Obedience proves that we love him. 
We abide in him and we show that we love him through our obedience to his words. Three, the fruit of abundant joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, now think about that for a minute. Jesus is speaking and he says, these things I've spoken to you, everything that you've just heard, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. That's a lot of joy. I, I, I propose that Jesus has an overabundant supply of joy. And he's praying, saying, I, I, I want my joy to be in you. And that your joy may be full. That you, you get as much of it as you can so that it's overflowing in your life. And like love, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And it's a mark of every true believer. If you lack joy in your life, something's wrong. Now that doesn't mean that we walk around all the time with a big smile on our face. I'm just so happy in Jesus. Right? We know that's, that's not reality. But joy ought to show on our face. People ought to know that that the fruit of the Spirit is growing on you, O oh ye little branch. You are, you are a branch connected to the vine, and joy is one of the fruits that ought to be present. And I just love the fact that Jesus speaks about joy right after he speaks about obedience. See, we like to think those two are mutually exclusive. And obedience, that kind of sounds like a drudgery. Obey. <laughs> Joy, yes. Give me joy. Obedience, not so much. Right? But he connects the two, I think, here. I think the two are inseparable. I mean, earlier we read, Jesus said, what? You are, you're, you're not blessed if you know these things. He says, you're blessed if you do these things. There is a blessing and a joy that comes from obedience. When you know you have obeyed the Father. When you have stepped out in obedience to obey his will in your life, there is a joy that God has that he shares with us. The last thing I'll mention here is the fruit of sacrificial love. Verse 12, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, Jesus already gave this command to them, but he reiterates it here, and he tells them this is what they must do. But what's really interesting is just like when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he's going to give them an object lesson to, to, to really bring this lesson home. In just a, a few hours, he's going to illustrate what he's commanding them to do. Because he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die for them. And for you and for me. He's going to demonstrate or illustrate what he has just said. No greater love has anyone than he laid down his lives for his friends. This is powerful. Jesus has given his disciples and us an example to follow. If we truly love him, then we too 
must be willing to lay down our lives both literally and figuratively for one another. That's why, folks, it doesn't do any good to play church. It, it doesn't do any good to just, you know, show up, you know, five minutes before the service or five minutes after the service. Um, I was gracious there, five minutes. Um, because we'll never lay down our lives for people we don't love. And you can't love people you don't know. You have to be with them, talk with them, listen to them, pray for them, bear one another's. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but you, you get the point. We, we got to go beyond superficial relationships. I mean, even on Sunday morning, there's a temptation, even, even by me, you know, um, to, to be focused maybe on guests and visitors and to forget the regular attenders and members, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can tend to be very task-oriented on, on Sunday mornings too. So I think we need to be intentional about cultivating our relationships with each other, knowing that, that Jesus is telling his disciples, gang, this is what true love looks like. Now, most of us, if not all of us, will probably never be called to lay down our lives physically for another brother or sister in Christ. But we can find ways to do that apart from giving our life, can't we? Surrendering our rights, our desires, our agendas, our preferences for the sake of others. Anyway, I better move on. Jesus says something incredible, I think, in verse 14, when he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Let's continue with verse 15. It says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the father in my name that he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. What a wonderful privilege it is to be called Jesus' friend. I mean, he, he is, he's our Lord and he's our Savior and he's our God. But then he turns around and he says, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. Wow. That God would be our friend that is, if you're connected to Jesus. If his life is flowing through your veins. If you're here this morning or watching online and you're not yet connected to Christ in that way. Um, I would urge you to go to him in prayer this morning and say, Lord Jesus, I, I acknowledge that I am a sinner that I have rebelled against you, that I have desired to live my life my way, but right now I am surrendering my life to you. I am 
I am making a decision now to turn from my sin and to embrace you as my Lord and Savior. I want to be connected with you and serve you the rest of my life. He'll honor that prayer. And he will graft you into the vine and you will begin to experience his life and his love and his joy and everything that he has to offer you so that you might become more like Jesus and that you might bear more fruit. If you're sure of your connection to Jesus, I urge you to remain in him, abide in him. Um, that would be a whole nother sermon to talk about how, how do we do that. Because it's a combination of, 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 of taking advantage of, of the spiritual disciplines and, and, and the Holy Spirit's work in our life and, and obedience. Make no mistake, it's not you working to stay connected to Jesus. It's you yielding yourself to him and allowing him to produce the fruit in your life. Don't run from the shears of the Father. That's another temptation as believers we face. Nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody likes to be reproved or rebuked. But if we're to grow in Christ, if we're to become more like him, we have to be willing to allow God's shears to do the cutting, to make us more like him so that we can bear much fruit. That's the message for us today. That's the message. If we want life, if we want to bear fruit, we must be connected to Jesus and stay connected to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your word to us, for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, um, it is our desire to always remain connected to you to allow your life to flow through our veins, that we might experience your love and your joy in our lives so that we might bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and so much else, so much other things. And uh, Father, we want you to be pleased with us. And so, Lord, we yield up our lives to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.